Welcome to Red, White, and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. If you've driven by or through Bristol recently, especially in the evenings, you've probably smelled something in the air. If you don't actually live in Bristol, driving through the area might make you pause for a moment and say, what is that smell? But you may not realize that citizens living in the area are dealing with those odors constantly. And it is more than just a smell. The health and well-being of citizens in Bristol is at risk. This is something that's been building for a while, not something that just sprang up over, like last night or over the last month. And many do not realize that there is a true humanitarian crisis taking place in the city. I'm joined today by Joel Kellogg, co-founder and current chairperson of Hope for Bristol, and Samuel Weddington, senior pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Bristol, Tennessee, to talk about the landfill in Bristol and also the efforts the residents in Bristol are bringing to the attention of this issue. So thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Now, I want to start with a question about your efforts in this area. So Joel, we'll start with you. How long have you been working on this issue? I started, I guess, actively working on this um, in the last summer of 2021. So as the um, as the emissions spread into our neighborhood, it, it, it went from just a occasional discomfort to a daily and nightly event. So as I as I did some research, became more active in the public group uh, on Facebook, I was I was invited into a core group of, of citizens who are um, very, very active. So as that evolved uh, with the help of Samuel Weddington and, and several others, Hope for Bristol was born from that small core group. So it's been, yeah, it's been uh, several months now. It seems like a couple of years because the, the way this thing moves, it's, uh, it's a very fluid, very fast moving situation behind the scenes. Now, you are the current chairperson of Hope for Bristol. Can you give our listeners a little information of about Hope for Bristol? What is Hope? Uh, Hope actually stands for uh, Healing Our Polluted Environment. It is an organization where we're currently in the process of uh, of getting established our 501c3. Our primary goal is closure, capping, and relief from this landfill. You know there there are plans going forward. Once, um, once we get this taken care of to expand that, you know, expand our, our scope. But currently we are, we are almost 100% focused on, uh, on closure cap and relief. Now, Samuel, when did you start working on this issue? Well, I, I'm going to take it back I, to when I started noticing the issue, um, if that's okay. Um, so I, this is probably mid-2020. Um, and, you know, we have a pretty um, large size facility here on Florida Avenue in Bristol, Tennessee at the first at first Pres. And I would come in and I thought something died. And so we would literally I literally had the building maintenance person go check AC vents and all this sorts. And we just couldn't figure it out. And slowly there were some citizens who were saying this is the landfill and started making connections. But it was really, as Joel said, intermittent. 
And then towards the end of 2020, you know, there's, there's COVID. Um, I was also writing my, my dissertation and I'm just all focused on that. And it, it just it was getting progressively worse. Uh, and then I started making phone calls to the city. Uh, I called the landfill, talked to the former manager there and was told, no, it's not the landfill. We'll take you on a tour. You can come. They literally call it a smell tour. I was like, no, 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 that's okay. If you say it's not the landfill, then maybe it's got to be something else. Uh, But it just, it kept getting worse. And it all came to a head uh, that summer. Uh, I had people stopping me in the parking lot of First Presbyterian. And I also had members of my congregation who were like saying that it's just reached this new point and they couldn't stand it anymore. Um, And uh, and the the day broke for me. Uh, early in July, uh, an older woman across the street from us at First Press stopped me and we talked for a good hour. And she described to me how her elderly mother, uh, who's a cancer, uh, who's currently battling cancer, uh, would be woken up at night. And and I don't mean to be disgusting, but just would be vomiting for like an hour or two, couldn't sleep. And this was really affecting her health, her health and her fight against the cancer. And so I kind of entered the fray with um, an article in the Bristol Herald Courier in July uh, entitled uh, the, the Devil Comes to Bristol, which was kind of the proto beast. We call it the beast. And so that was like one of the first names for it. And that's when I really entered in. I got a group of um, that's where the dissertation It was a strange confluence. It's my dissertations on like science and theology and science communication and how to get community organizing going along that. So I got uh, a group of people I'd worked together with before uh, around uh, the table here at First Pres, including at the time, uh, the city manager in Bristol, Virginia. The idea was, let's let's do this as a community and, and communicate together and try to, um, you know, have a united front. That didn't last too long, um, mainly because it became very um, evident to everybody around the table that the city was taking a very sort of defensive stance like we don't want to talk about health impacts and things like that and it's like we've got to talk about that and probably about the second meeting uh with the city manager and another member of council in virginia uh was the first time i met joel uh at the at at city council chambers in bristol virginia and yeah, the rest is history, I guess, as they say. Yeah, I noticed that the Facebook page. So for those listeners who perhaps haven't been following this story yet, um, there is a community group on Facebook. It, If I'm not mistaken, it was founded in December of 2020 or around that time. The title of the page, and it is public, is Bristol City, Virginia slash Tennessee Air Pollution Community. Um, and you can go on there and, and listen and, and look and, and, and communicate with people who are dealing with this on a daily basis. I joined this community um, to, to hear more about this issue back this past summer and early fall. But it's interesting to me that it, I want to talk about this today with both of you, why it has taken so long for people to pay attention to something that was clearly affecting individuals even a year and a half ago. Joel, what are your thoughts on that? Why do you think it has taken so long? It's, it's, it's hard for me to be politically correct when we talk about this. So, um, this is why, um, I, I will, I will pause the politics of not only this situation, but as we're finding out across this nation, 
Um, there is no protection for citizens from landfill emissions. There, there's just not, there's no standards. There are benchmarks, but there's no set in stone standards. And honestly, we were portrayed for, for quite some time by some local, we'll call them leaders, as just uh, an angry group of citizens, you know, on the verge of violence who were just inconvenienced. So unfortunately, you know, for a guy like me, I've uh, never been, uh, you, know, you know, I'll tell people I never protested anything before except last call. I, I don't have the credibility in the community that, um, that the people who, who were saying this do. So, you know, the, um, the, all the elected officials are thinking, you know, this is, this is just, um, you know, it's an inconvenience for now. The city's working on it. They'll get it taken care of, even though um, we knew uh, in, the, in the community that, that that wasn't the case. So the reason it's taken so long, I guess it just, it's not convenient for the way our system is set up, our political system is set up. It's not convenient there's no gain in it for our elected officials. You know, we're, we're a small group. If you look at the, at the scope in Southwest Virginia, Northeast Tennessee, we're a small group of people generally don't contribute a whole lot to political campaigns. Um, and generally uh, not enough of us to affect a vote on anything more than a local level. So, you know, again, that's not, um, that's not front burner stuff for an elected official. Our, our whole, it seems, it seems like our whole system is based on election cycles. So now we're in and you know what, when you got a year to go, that's when we ramp it up and we're going to see, hey, what's important? What's going on? How can I, um, you know, how can, how can we sway this group of voters? So, um, you know, from a, from a layman's perspective, that's my answer. And that's what you'll, that's what you'll get from me. It's, um, it's disheartening, it's disgusting and it's sad. Yeah. Samuel, what do you think about the idea that it, it, it really hasn't had the attention that it deserves. And I, I'm even thinking about in the last week, I noticed that, um, you know, the city of Bristol is now has said it needs help. Um, can't do this alone. And then you see statements from various larger elected officials, right? Morgan Griffith, Tim Kaine and others making statements about how something needs to change, but people have been kind of alerting them to that for a while. Why do you think it's taken so long? I, I agree with Joel. I'm going to flesh out a little bit just based on my experience. Again, like calling back in 2020, like what is that smell? And oh, it's not the landfill will take you on a smell tour. I think the first piece of this is there was, there was just a real information knowledge gap, I, I believe. I mean, time will tell as, you know, who knows if this goes to court, evidence comes out. But I really think, and I, and this has been my experience too, like it was a huge learning curve for me to like figure out how landfills work. And I'm not an expert, but man, I've gotten a heck of an education and your average city official or your average person running a landfill, like they really probably don't know how it works or some the worst case scenario, right? So there's this information, this knowledge gap, and, and for lack of a better word, just ignorance about what could go wrong. And as human beings, we want to just sort of assume maybe, if not best case scenario, things are going to be normal. Like we're not going to assume the worst. So there was that. And then early on too, then I think the fear of liability set in. 
right? And so, hey, we need to sort of circle the wagons, um, not just at Bristol, Virginia council level, but other political entities as well, because, you know, we're talking who knows how far the liability extends. We just really need to, to, to circle in on that. And then to Joel's point, and I think you really hit the nail on the head. I think fear emerged quickly uh, at, within uh, political leadership in our area because this was citizen driven and it was also driven primarily on social media. And this has everything to do with, I think, the anxiety coming out of COVID and there, there, have been, there has been real damage done to uh, our polity, you know, nationally, locally, statewide, by like social media, the flash mobs of just angry people that are not generally informed. And I think, and I agree with Joel, probably for the, you know, first six months of my activity in this, just because those were the primary venues we were communicating on, the assumption was, well, these are a bunch of you know, people that are don't know what they're talking about. They're just complaining. They don't understand. You know, leave it to leave it to the officials. I mean, think about it in light of COVID, right? There's been a lot of weird theories, you know, that have sprung up on social media misinformation, and you do get people that act off of that. Never once in this situation with the landfill because of that backdrop, has anyone assumed that there might be actual scientists and, and people who know what they're talking about that are really concerned about what's going on? And that's why when I came into it, I was really quick. We've got a number of folks here at First Prez that I've been able to connect with Hope and stuff that do have the scientific credentials in the background, trying to bring them into the conversation. But that really didn't make uh, a big difference uh, for a long time uh, until basically um, because of the pressure, the city had to sort of set some lines in the sand, like, all right, the well mitigation will be done by mid-December, we expect relief. And it wasn't until that time came and passed and the relief didn't come that the proof was in the pudding, so to speak. And maybe these folks might actually know a little bit of what they're talking about. And it's not just me. Again, one, a person we work with has a PhD in analytic chemistry and is a, uh, is a physical engineer, uh, an environmental engineer, registered in both Virginia and Tennessee. They didn't wanna to listen to him either, again, because he was associated with a citizen-driven group that primarily communicates through social media. Well, let me pause for just a moment for those who might just now be joining in on the conversation. Hi, this is Red, White, Confused, and I'm your host, Heather Evans. I'm joined today by Joel Kellogg, co-founder and current chairperson for Hope for Bristol. And Samuel Weddington, senior pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Bristol, Tennessee, to talk about the landfill and the efforts that residents are doing there to bring attention to that issue. Now, you know, for those who are driving past Bristol and even here in Abingdon, because I live in Abingdon, every once in a while I smell it, right? The smell keeps growing. People may think, as we've been talking about, oh, it's just an inconvenience, but it is more than that. And Samuel, you mentioned in the first part of our interview about meeting someone in the parking lot and them talking about the effects this is having on individuals. So what are you hearing? And I'm seeing a lot of this on Facebook, but what are you hearing from citizens about those other effects? And either of you, please feel free to jump in and talk a little bit about that. Samuel, you want to take that question? Yeah, and then I'll, I'm going to kick it over to Joel because they've got a good initiative at Hope for Bristol. Over the, I'm going to say the last uh, six to eight months, I continue to hear people either wanting to or actually fleeing their homes because they've got kids who are being woken up and they just, 
I mean, it's miserable. Like it, unless you experience it or you've been uh, awakened in the dead of the night by this smell, I just, I cannot convey to you what, what this does. So I still continue to get reports of that, uh, nausea, uh, headaches, and with the nausea, the, the vomiting, um, the, you know, lethargy. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've been affected by this before all of this really ramped up. You know, I, I was, I would go to the gym three, four times a week. If I can drag myself in once or twice a week now, I'm doing really good. I'm a lot more tired. It could be stress. That'd be easy to say, but we're all stressed out. I, I think it's, uh, you know, uh, there are days when I come in like the, like it was really bad today in the office and all my coworkers, it just hits you. And it's like, just your, your body just, it just, it feels like you're moving in mud, I guess you could say. There have been times I've actually had to send staff home. It's been so bad here at First Presbyterian just because the headaches and everything set in. But I'm going to kick this over to Joel because they have a symptom survey and, and let him flesh that out. Okay. Well, thank you, Samuel. Um, yeah, we did uh, we did a symptom survey in the in the community. Um, we are finalizing that that data now, so it's not ready for release yet. But we'll be we'll be very soon. We we basically asked questions about the different symptoms and the things that Samuel alluded to, you know, the, the nausea, the headaches, um, shortness of breath, the vomiting, nosebleeds. One in seven Americans will have one nosebleed in their entire lifetime. And we have entire families who've never had nosebleeds that, that now do. And these are, um, you know, children waking up with their, uh, with, with blood on their pillows. We have, you know, residents just out of the blue. And this is, this is something that happened in Bridgeton, Missouri too, at the, the height of their battle with these emissions. The effects of these emissions are, are very real. And, you know, report after report says that there's no long-term effects, but when you analyze those they measure one chemical for one long-term for long-term effects from that one chemical, you know, this much exposure over, over this much time, there is no reference for 10 or 15 different toxins being released into the atmosphere and people being subject to this. Um, you know, it's, it's an inadvertent experiment is what it is. And that's what it's going to end up being. Uh, so, we're very concerned. We're getting ready to uh, to launch another one, um, maybe uh, a little more, you know, targeting a, a, a couple different things, but trying to get a wider a wider base of our community as well. So, as as Sam alluded to, you know, this is this is a community led movement, but we have we have people who are very knowledgeable, very very intelligent people from uh, several different backgrounds. You know, chemical engineers. We have. Um, you know, in environmentally conscious people, we have a gentleman that's done air testing in our community, you know, as a private citizen, we as a group have said for months, basically what Bristol, Virginia said in their letter to the EPA and BADEQ uh, last Monday, that these wells aren't going to work, that this is, it's a bandaid. Um, it's basically a bandaid on a bullet wound. So until we get a concerted effort to get a cap on this thing, stop the intake, get a cap on this thing to capture these fugitive emissions coming into our community. We're not going to get, we're not going to get any relief. And in the meantime, this continued exposure on, on a, on an almost daily or nightly basis uh, is just going to continue to, to add up to some 
I, I feel very serious consequences in the future. Yeah. And I, the other day I drove out to the landfill and I think that people who are listening in who've not been to the landfill would be surprised at just how close it is to homes. And there's a juvenile detention center right there at the base of that landfill. And when you drive up on a day, even when it is not operating, the smell is outrageous. And these people are dealing with this day in and day out. Those fumes are coming into their homes and they're lingering. Now, Samuel, I know that your church has been working on distributing air purifiers to citizens. How many of those have you given out? Yeah, so our church, uh, with partners like the Bristol Area Ministerial Alliance, several other churches, and Hope for Bristol and and others, um, we've been getting together uh, donations, and we're getting ready to have a seventh distribution next week. And uh, if we give out all those units, which I assume we will, we will be approaching 800 units that we've given out in two months. Yeah, that's a lot of a lot of air purifiers and the air purifiers, like Joel was saying, the, the bandaid for a bullet wound, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's the one thing we're, we're, I will say this, we're very clear with residents when they pick that up, that look, this is not, this doesn't solve problems. And we, we say the same thing when we're communicating to Bristol, Virginia. And I was even at council last night again and challenged them to get involved in the relief efforts. The purifiers don't solve anything. It's not gonna make, the, make things go away. However, if it gives just a little relief, if somebody can get a couple extra hours of sleep because it's in their room, then, then it's worth it. And, and you know, again, I, I know maybe somebody listening to this is like, oh, a couple hours of sleep. Look, you don't know until you've experienced it, you know, what I went through or Joel went through last night. And then when it's day after day after day, and suddenly if you're a six hour sleeper, that's turned into four hours or three hours or me, I'm an eight hour guy. I got to have all eight hours. If, if I'm only getting like I did yesterday, five and you stack that up for day on, you know, day on, on top of day for a week or two, it really begins to affect your productivity, your ability to think. Um, I, I mean, I hate to admit it, but, and, and my staff here, the church has experienced something similar. I was uh, having a conversation with my director of children's ministry a few weeks ago, and we were just talking about different things. I literally lost the word hallway. I, I can't explain and, and look, I'm a, I'm a 44 year old man. Now I could have early onset dementia. I, you know, who knows, but I cannot tell you the panic that that induced in me. I could just, I'm like, you know, that space between two doorways that you want. I mean, I could describe anything you wanted to, but the word hallway, I could not recall it for a solid 10 minutes. And, um, and stuff like that is a pretty common occurrence. And again, that could be sleep deprivation. It could be the, the chemicals, what have you. If we can bring a little bit of relief to folks to this so that they can function and re- recall the word hallway at that critical juncture, then this is worth it. Yeah. And um, earlier you mentioned, Samuel, that um, on the page, you've seen stories about people just leaving their homes. And a lot of people don't have the money to be able to just up and leave their homes. You know, some have been like, well, I can't even sell my home now in Bristol right? Home values seem to be decreasing because of the smell. There are less people coming into the area for tourism and so forth. So there's these economic impacts as well. But for the citizens, if we focus just on the citizens, some people have the money to be able to leave, 
a lot of people do not. This is, this is their home. And so they're just trying to be able to live in their space. And Bristol is supposed to be a good place to quote unquote live. Living there is not easy right now. Can I say something on, on that? Yes. Um, so, you know, uh, you can go online yourself and you can, uh, the EPA has a mapper tool that uh, in their Office of Environmental Justice, and you can, you know, look at a particular area and you can map out different economic, socioeconomic factors. And if you, if you do that around that landfill, one thing that becomes really apparent, especially on the Virginia side, is that there is the uh, intersectionality or the confluence of poverty, not necessarily good educational outcomes, and then also a race, right? Those three things around that landfill, it's very clear. Um, the, the people who, every, we have a wide variety of people who are suffering from this, but disproportionately, those who suffer from this don't have the means, as you're saying, to deal adequately with this. Plus the housing stock and some of those areas are really poor. So it's almost like Swiss cheese uh, in terms of insulation and other things. They are the least able to, to contend with this or to deal with the medical complications that come from it. And here, I, I really wanna double down on something. You mentioned about the time it took to get people to pay attention. And you know, I have a passion for uh, the public theology and, and the environment, that's my thing. Uh, I wanna ask everybody a question. You know, Dr. King in the 60s wrote a letter from the Birmingham jail. Who was that letter written to? It was written to white moderates, to, to people who could sort of decide that they wanted to deal with that issue, racial justice at that time or not. And they were telling Dr. King to wait. Now, I'm not trying to make an equivalence between what we're experiencing and the civil rights movement, but my point is, is that if there's been a big issue that we've had to overcome in this, it's to get people who have the choice as to whether or not they want to pay attention to pay attention to this. And, you know, it just happens that I am at a large congregation that's generally affluent. You know, I happen to find myself in a situation where I don't get the choice to ignore this. My appeal to those who are listening, if, if it's not affecting you on a daily basis, you know, you may think you have the choice to walk away, but one, it's getting worse. And I am asking and I'm pleading for people to, to consider the least of these, those who can't or don't have the, the means to carry this burden and it is disproportionately affecting them. And it will ultimately uh, determine whether or not Bristol uh, remains a good place to live. Well, thank you for that. And Joel, is there anything that you feel like the media isn't paying attention to that they should be paying attention to when it comes to this issue? Is there something that isn't being heard? A lot of this really, the, um, the lack of coverage for one, which is picking up, so I'm appreciative for that, but the constant referral to this as an odor or smell, I would love to change that narrative because it's what it is, is it's toxic emissions um, that, that, I mean, these are poisons and they have an odor to them. So that is, uh, that is one. The other one that we haven't even touched on today is what this does to our community's mental health. Okay, so last night was horrible. I got a report this morning of a gentleman, an uh, elderly gentleman who has been affected, brain fog, um, short-term memory loss. And that's, you know, that's, that's hard for me too. I'll be mid-sentence and forget what I was talking about 
but this gentleman this morning I heard went out to the landfill and attempted to stop some trucks. So we are at this community is at a breaking point after after a year. And for some, it's several years. For some, it's just been a few months. But still, you know, I'm making plans today. How am I going to air out my house when it's 35 degrees outside? First, I have to wait for the air to clear outside. Okay. And then I'm going to have to turn off my heat. I'm going to have to get all the fans going. I can't leave the house while this is happening because if the wind shifts, it'll just fill the house up again. So when you deal with that and you watch your children, you know, crying because they have headaches, they have nosebleeds, they're not getting good grades because they get poisoned all night. And then they go into a school that's filled again with these emissions for a parent to witness that, you know, on, on almost a daily basis. It's unconscionable. It really is. And the, the mental toll that this has taken on our community, it, it, it's staggering. It's staggering. So as, as Sam alluded to, you know, we don't sleep a whole lot, uh, a lot because of the emissions. But, but again, because we're worried about what's going on, we have Hope went and opened a bank account last week, um, two weeks ago. So we're talking to um, a branch manager who was there just, you know, a couple of days a week. And we find out that that person had evacuated their home. Uh, they live near the landfill. They'd evacuated their home five weeks ago because of what it was doing to their children. So, you know, a gentleman approached me in a grocery store yesterday or two days ago, thanked me for what I did, recognized me from, from social media or from the news or wherever, um, thanked me for what we were doing, and then told me that they're moving. He's got to get his kids out. He said it's going to be a huge burden for us because basically they've got a storage unit that they're paying a mortgage on. Um, so now they're going to have to take on another payment. They have to move all those expenses, increased travel costs, all that stuff. He just has to get his family out. We, we have people living in, in an RV down by, down by the river, um, you know, again, because their home is unlivable. The, 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 the mental toll is just, we're, like I said, we're at a breaking point. We're working with a publication now that's going to actually do um, two handouts for our community. One is focused on the landfill what it's emitting and its health effects. And then another one, um, basically to, to touch on the mental aspects of this and what people, can, what people can do. Unfortunately, without a government-led effort to focus on that, this is gonna be one area that, um, you know, that again, we're not able to touch as we are with the purifiers, even though that's been a good effort. It's very, that the need is far, far greater than we're able to affect the change in. The mental health part of this is going to be, is going to be virtually untouched just because of sheer lack of resources uh, and capacity and, and the dollars to do that. So that would be, that would be the thing I want people to understand mostly, you know, um, it's called PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. But uh, here, it's um, it's present traumatic stress disorder because it's yeah. still occurring for us daily. Yeah, and you see it all over that Facebook page. Thank you both for being on the show today. And I hope that this will help people who have not paid attention to this issue yet pay attention to this issue and see the effects and and contact both of you 
I want to put your information up on the website about how to get in, in contact with you also to help in these efforts in whatever way that people can. I just want people to pay attention to this and also put pressure on people in politics who can do something about it. So thanks to both of you for your efforts in this area. And I hope that you both get a good night's sleep tonight. Um, For those of you who missed any piece of this broadcast, you can listen again on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week.